What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Up Before You podcast with me, Connor Warman. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends and fellow CrossFitters at Stono Creek Apothecary. If you're into your health, and especially if you're into your fitness, you've been hearing a lot about CBD lately. From inflammation and pain relief to improved sleep, lower anxiety, and faster recovery times, CBD is toted as the biggest wellness breakthrough of the last several years, and increasingly so. Nowadays, you can find CBD in literally everything, from gummies to lattes. You can buy it at the doctor's office, the local grocery, and even the corner gas station. But all this hype can leave people scratching their heads. Is CBD for real? And which brand can I trust? At Stono Creek, you can be sure that all the CBD products are made to the highest of standards from seed to shelf. This means everything is manufactured in their FDA-registered laboratory located near the Stono River on Johns Island, South Carolina. That's right, folks. It's a real place, and it's not your neighbor's kitchen. All the CBD is CO2 extracted from hemp grown in the U.S. of A. on sustainable, pesticide-free farms. Each finished batch is third-party tested for potency, purity, and stability. And all the products are fully labeled and disclose every single ingredient that goes into them. If you haven't tried Stoner Creek yet, you can now get 20% off your first order when you use code UPBEFOREYOU on their website, scapothecary.com. That's S-C-A-P-O-T-H-E-C-A-R-Y.com. Code up before you. And don't forget to sign up for the newsletter so you can be the first to learn about the launch of their new topicals line, including recovery baths, body oils, solves, and more, which is set to launch this winter. And guys, on top of using their cooling pain cream to aid in my recovery, I have now added their CBD oil to my nightly routine. Since starting to use their CBD oil, I have noticed a big difference in my sleep, in the restfulness of sleep, and quality of sleep. So, if you haven't tried Sono Creek yet, I highly recommend you go and give it a shot. And to all the listeners out there, that time of the year is again fast approaching. Christmas time, my favorite time of the year. And if you're looking for awesome gift ideas but don't know what to get, we got you covered. Instead of getting everyone gifts that they won't use, let them unwrap a pair of tickets to see their favorite concert, game, or theater show instead. We've teamed up with Ticket Weirdo to make buying tickets this season super affordable. Ticket Weirdo is the only ticket site that doesn't charge you service fees and also donates a portion of your purchase to charity. Check them out and give them a follow on Instagram, at Ticket Weirdo. Just go to TicketWeirdo.com and enter promo code UBY, that's UBY, during checkout to save an extra 10% off unlimited purchases throughout the year and to keep it weird this season. Now, guys, if you have a moment, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave a 5-star rating and a review. It only takes a second and is a great way to support the show, and the feedback means a lot to me. If you like this episode of the podcast, please share with family and friends and post on social media, and make sure to tag Up Before You. And lastly, go follow Up Before You on Instagram and Facebook, and go check out upbeforeyou.com to keep up to date with all the latest episodes, news, and updates surrounding the show. All right, my guest today is Brian Chantosh, but he prefers to just be called Tosh. Brian is a retired U.S. Marine Corps infantry officer who now works on the CrossFit HQ staff, competes in ultramarathons, is an avid outdoor adventurist, and now podcaster. Brian was awarded the Navy Cross for his heroic action during the 2003 invasion of Iraq. This dude is the real deal, and someone that I look up to and admire very, very much. There is nobody more fitting for episode number 100 of the Up Before You podcast than this guy, and you will find out why that is in just a moment. So, without further ado... Let's get on with episode 100 of this show. Hey 
I wanted to start out by asking you a little bit about this uh, this 24-hour event you did where you went right. into a room and you ran on that true form runner. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about that? Kind of like what, uh, why you were doing it, stuff like that? Yeah, it was something that just kind of fell in my lap. Uh, Jeff Vernon from True Form Running, he's been he's been a big advocate for me, and he's crewed a couple of my 200-mile races. And um, he reached out and asked if I would be an advisor for a couple of Canadian guys that were trying to do something. And I said, yeah, sure, what are they trying to do? And they're like, oh, this endurance event. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I'm in, man, whatever you need. And so probably probably 10 minutes, 15 minutes after I ended the call with Jeff, I started texting him back right away. Any chance I can get in on this? Like, I'm, I just my head just started spinning, man. And so uh, these guys wanted to do uh, an event. They, were, they, they do hard stuff with each other all the time, challenging each other, pushing each other to the limits. And they just concocted this this event, sensory deprivation uh, run, and uh, they wanted to raise awareness for mental health issues. And that they kind of, you know, these the Canadians and, and their first responder uh, response from the law enforcement, their relationships with law enforcement and some, some people that have lost some stuff, yeah, it just resonated very parallel with me with the military. And so um, they they said, yeah, man, you're in. So we did it. And that was pretty cool. Yeah. So what exactly was it, the event? It was a 24-hour run, basically max effort, on a true form runner, the non-motorized treadmill. And um, we're also going to remove all types of sensory and data input that you would normally have. So we did it in a shipping container that was totally blacked out, darked out. We took the monitor off the true form runner. You weren't allowed to use any artificial motivation. So you didn't have any Walkman. You didn't have a watch. You didn't have access to the outside world. No, nothing. So anything that you would use to try to make sense of the world around you was deliberately removed and uh, go for 24 hours. You could run the farthest. So like, what's your mindset going into that? Like, or I guess what was the strategy to get the farthest? Yeah, uh, which is – it's funny that you asked that because that was um, – what I was originally on board to do was to be a uh, a head coach, you know, uh, for these two guys to to help them navigate the, the mental game, the headspace that they would face. And the more I thought about it, like, oh, wow, like, I don't this, – this could be the hardest thing I've ever done. Like, man, what am I going to tell these guys? So, so I tried to advise them coming up with a strategy and a plan and, and how you're going to tackle this thing. And, um, my game plan going in was not to rely on anything, not to try to artificially create some sort of measurement technique when the whole premise is to design this thing to deny you the ability to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was very, very careful. I spent a lot of time thinking about how I wanted to tackle this. I drew, I like the Malcolm Gladwell's, uh, thing where he talks about slicing we talk about it in the military, uh, you know, pattern recognition. And so I used my past experiences and different events and endeavors. And I said, well, this slice and this slice and this pattern and this pattern, these little pieces could be put back together to, to best guess, to replicate what I might face in the, in the, um, chamber there. And so I went on board with that strategy 
and it was to just stay in tune with myself. Uh, how are you feeling right now? And that, that kind of goes along with other other things that I do. It's like, this is how I feel right now. This is how I'm going to feel 15 minutes from now. This is how I'm going to feel five hours from now, if given, whatever, whatever. And um, even taking the sense of time out of it, you, you, started, you start to think about it in an abstract sense. But I wanted, long story short, as I babble, is just get in there and just stay in tune with your body. Are you giving everything you've got right now? Is what you're giving too much or not enough? And stop trying to latch on to things to, to measure other than just reading and scanning your body. Mm-hmm. And um, fortunately, that, that proved super successful. Unfortunately, they, they had other people in their ear giving them different advice. And so, um, you know, I just had the luxury of, you know, having a lot of experience and having a really good day. It was very self-validating for me to get in that box, man. Now I'm I'm kind of curious, what kind of thoughts are coming and going in your head during something like that? Uh, I try to control my thoughts as much as possible, and then give my thoughts room to just just go wherever they want, but then always bring them back in. And so you know, you're I can't even remember. I mean, this is two years ago, and my head's go on in probably a thousand different directions, and I remember thinking about things and. And then I'd let it go for a period of time until I started to recognize, like, hey, my thoughts are going down the ugly path. And then it's like, hey, stop. Go back to this. And uh, would would be, like, repetition stuff, like going through my head of where all my gear my kid is, going through what my purpose was, going through what, you know, my, my stated ambition and my intent was when I was in the, the best state of consciousness, well-rested prior to the race, and then not allow myself to become suspect to my mood or, or whatever's happening inside. So I would always try to bring it back. My head went from thinking about Doug Zempak to thinking about, you know, a song mm-hmm. that I said, Hey, I'm going to think about this song, this lyric, and it just kind of moves me um, to, you know, and it, I, I started thinking ugly a couple times, twice. I started thinking ugly and, that was, and I'm embarrassed because I try not to live my life that way, and it seeped in. And at a certain point in time, I don't know when it was, but I started thinking, man, I hope those guys are getting really, really tired and stopping. I hope those guys are getting cramps. I hope those guys are quitting. I hope I, and then, and my head started to go to a negative place towards others, and I was like, whoa, Tosh, like stop. That's not you, man. Wishing for other people's. Uh, lack of success or hardship to allow you to succeed. And that was super powerful for me. You know, as you're physically um, exhausted, you're emotionally, you're spiritually exhausted, you're sleep deprived, all of these things that are going on, and then your mind starts to go negative. And I could feel my thoughts making me a bad person. And and I can think about, I, I, I can remember twice on that occasion, twice on two separate occasions it happened. And I, I entertained it for some unknown period of time, and I felt ugly about it until I said, "Well, stop! Like, no!" And reverse that. Started wishing for their success. Started wishing for their strength because if they had a magnificent performance, ideally, if I still won, that would make my performance that much better. And so it's like the rising tide lifts all ships type of mindset, where just wish the best for 
for the world around you and it's going to make you better in the long run. And I, I'm rambling and I took your comment in a weird direction. <laughs> but, uh, That's all right. But yeah, that was powerful for me uh-huh. in there. Um, you asked where my thoughts went and they go all over the place, but you give them, you give them their latitude to go where they need to go, but you have to remain cognizant, on guard, protected that you don't let them go unharnessed or unrestrained to the point where it's like, okay, stop. You're done thinking that way. Let's get you back here. And then having a, a regimen in your head, like I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then I would repeat it over and over and over. And it's like, okay, hey, I'm back into my, my steady state. Let's let the thoughts go again. And then once they drifted and got out of control or they got ugly or wherever they went, let's say, okay, stop. Let's bring it back into my processes, my discipline, my repetition, and then and then get my ready state back. Did you ever start singing to yourself? And if so, what song did you sing? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did, <laughs> man. Um, twice. And I started talking out loud a lot, too, and yelling just to motivate myself. But um, I, I'm an Alice in Chains fan, and The Rooster is, a, is one that means a lot. Um, the lyrics are pretty powerful. And then um, The Sound of Silence, um, uh, the remake that was done by Disturbed and uh, just super powerful. And so I just kept trying to remember those lyrics. And as much as I thought I had them down in that in that darkness, man, they, they came out all ass backwards. But mm-hmm. it was good. <laughs> nice. So switching gears a little bit, can you tell me a little bit about, about yourself growing up and kind of like leading into the military, how you got involved in the military? Again, one of those things that it's like you look back and you say, man, I'm not proud of those moments or I'm not like I'm a little embarrassed, but it's okay. I would never take them back. Um, I was a good student, raised in middle-class America, suburbs, great family, um, wonderful mother, father, brother, uh, played baseball. I was really good in school was distracted, unpurposed, and um, I got in some trouble too many times. And the more trouble you get into and get away with, the more deeper trouble you get into until you don't. And then it just was a – it was bad. Like, I'm embarrassed. Like, I, I wish I could go back and apologize and make amends for a lot of things I did. But um, I was misguided, uh, a lot of energy that was put towards not-so-constructive means if it wasn't baseball season. <laughs> and uh, basically the judge just said, hey, you need to go in the military. Uh, as I was doing some community service, uh, I went into the Air Force recruiter. And he uh, said, no, we're not. You're not what we're looking for. You're not like you're a little bit of trouble. Like, we're not interested in this. And I was blown away because that was really the first time I'd heard that or been denied growing up. And so I was walking out and I was pissed and. The Marine Corps recruiter, you know, Staff Sergeant Allen, I remember him to this day. He's like five foot nine, jacked guy. And uh, he just said, hey, come on in. Let's talk. Like, what's what's wrong? I'm like, ah, you know, the Air Force recruiter said I wasn't good enough. He's like, well, why? I'm like, well, I'm in a little bit of trouble. But he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. What do you want to do? I said, I don't care. So he joined me in the Marine Corps, man. Nine days later, I left for boot camp. <laughs> That's awesome. And so then you served 21 years, right? I did. I did. Best thing I ever did was get in and get uh, get into that organization where there was structure and discipline and and then a, uh, your 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 immature male tendencies got you know um, played on for aggressiveness and macho but then they were channeled for a for a common purpose and regulated so that's what I needed as a young 
young adult. What was the biggest lesson you learned from being in the military? Man, that's anytime somebody says, "Hey, what's the biggest or what's the most?" <laughs> what's it's just like, wow. Yeah. To say one thing would be to diminish so many other things. Um, it's uh, you know, leadership. I, I you know, leadership, leadership, leadership. That's the buzz phrase. But you know, you're inundated all around in every which way with leadership in the military, especially the Marine Corps. You know, and then as you grow through that, I just, I just sort of like you can't. So when the big the question is the biggest lesson I think it revolves around type of leadership is you just can't fake caring. It always it always shines through, and as much as you try to fake it or pretend, you're gonna it, it's gonna your your in, ingenuousness is gonna percolate through somehow and you're gonna be foiled. So biggest lesson is to just develop your character so strong and resolute that it, it allows you to be somebody that can care for others and wish more for them than they do themselves. And that's mm-hmm. what I take away probably the most. Yeah. And you bring up leadership to you, I guess, like what makes a good leader and what is leadership? Yeah. Well, that's the trick question. What is leadership? There's a million different definitions out there for it. Everybody wants to put their spin on it. Um, your definition has to be relevant to the context in which you want to apply it towards. So then therefore, there's room for many different definitions. It's it's the authenticity that's that's of import. Um, authenticity with who you are as a human being, with the application in which you're going to apply leadership, and then for the purposes in the cause, it just has to it has to all be genuine. And um, I think my definition of leadership has evolved. You know, the textbook definition from the Marine Corps was the sum total characteristics and attributes of an individual to bring others together towards a common good or cause and it's like yeah hey that's pretty damn good mm-hmm. you know and that's pounded into you as a definition of leadership mm-hmm. more or less from day one and that was fine and it was good and then I, and I started to grow through it my definitions have changed and evolved and matured as I have as a human being and then definitely um have turned a little bit as as I move through my life and my new endeavors you know so then after 21 years in the marine corps what ultimately led you to get out of the military. I was tired. <laughs> Just pure and simple, man. I was yeah. tired. Um, I had an amazing career, uh, a lottery ticket of careers, if you will, uh, blessed with tremendously talented and, and amazing men and women, hoopla heads. I like to call them hoopla heads. Uh, they were just awesome across the board. Even the ones that were trouble were awesome. Uh, great, a great peer group cadre that I went through with my entire career and a, f- a fantastic host of, of leaders and mentors um, that were, were superiors to me. And so I really did have a lottery ticket and then I, I was successful in, in a lot of um, deployments and whatnot. So that worked out well. And, you know, I got to the end towards a career and I just ran into one particularly criminal corrupt individual who happened to be the colonel and we just didn't get along and he had some other um bogus players in his court and i just didn't get along and i wasn't willing to play the game and and you know by no part of my advocating myself from any responsibilities i was far from perfect and had my own issues too but it just put a big big sour taste in my mouth and just disgruntled mm-hmm. and I was tired 
20 years, that's a lot. It was good. It was fine. And so I just said, hey, I got to go. And I like to say, like, I wasn't willing to put forth the change in who I was as a human being or the work into my identity to be what the Marines deserve, the Marine Corps, the men, and the billet in in order for me to fulfill a lieutenant colonel role uh, as I promoted. And so I was like, hey, I... I just think I'm already promoted to the to the limits of my capacities, and I think it's time for me to uh, exit instead of instead of fake it. So mm-hmm. I, I was good, man. And you received the Navy Cross Award, which, uh, to my understanding, is a very high honor. What did you receive that for? Doing my job. Um, just did my job. I did. I did what anybody would have done given the circumstances, or tried to do during the circumstances. The dice just happened to roll up you know, the right number instead of the wrong number. Uh, I had an amazing group of men and we just, we were just super successful that day. You know, we were ambushed and the enemy was trying to to kill us. And so we killed them instead and, and it worked out successful for us. So that mm-hmm. worked out. And when you received that, what did that mean to you? Uh, it, it's a, t- it's a, it's an individual war, but to me it meant more in terms of the unit, in terms mm-hmm. of the men, terms of what we we experienced together and shared that it's just going to always be between us nobody's ever going to understand or appreciate it they're going to try to um but but not given that specific circumstance at that time it's just something that we're going to have and share all together and um you know those guys man guys were incredible what they did and how fearless they were and dedicated to the cause but probably more importantly they were we, we just, in our, in our platoon, we just, we really, we developed this, and it's not unique to us, I would say any unit, any military service, it doesn't have to be the Marine Corps either, but any unit that's a well-trained unit that works together, uh, they, they, they get an affinity towards each other and a bond and a brotherhood and a love, and, and that was so strong that it overwhelmed whatever the enemy was trying to do to us, so that's what that award means to me, that we were that close and tight that it was, Hey, we're going to get through this. So then when you got out of the military, what did you do next? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I followed, I followed Nicole back to Santa Cruz so that she could, uh, continue to be a rock star with CrossFit. (laughs) And I didn't really do much of anything. Um, just, I took, I took my transition as a process instead of a step, meaning just endure it and enjoy it. As, as it comes and it'll sort itself out instead of trying to get through it and hit the finish line to get on to the next thing where I think that's a, a big thing that's wrong with a lot of a lot of guidance that's given it's like hey you've got to get through your transition you got to do these things you have to have meaning and purpose and and it's like yeah hey none of that's going to make any sense because we haven't after 21 years you haven't even lived in that world to even have an idea of what your why or your purpose or your who you are is going to be so I, I worked for CrossFit for a little bit on the seminar staff as a as a trainer, and I worked for headquarters on a couple projects. And uh, then I got asked to train Robert Guerrero and a couple other couple of the guys as a special projects trainer, and that was really cool. And uh, I just did that for a handful of years. So, how did you find CrossFit in the first place? Well, as a military, it was uh, it was Marcus Mines and Todd Whitman. Um, I remember this. Marcus Mainz comes into the office. It's like 4.30 in the morning. We're infantry officer, of course. We're instructors. 
He's like, hey, guys, guys, hey, check this out. I got this online. Check this out. And, and he pulls up CrossFit.com, the old yellow page, and uh, <laughs> workout of the day. And check this out. Check this out, guys. Hey, hey, check it out. I think we should do this today. Because we were all workout dudes. And, I mean, but it was, I'm going to go for a long run in the morning. going to swim in the afternoon. I'm going to do a workout in the gym, get jacked, and then maybe go for another run or go, we're going to go do some body sparring in the, in the man cave. And so we pulled up this website and it's like, all right, man, hey, cool. We'll do this after our afternoon workout. And in the workout with Cindy. We went out there and we did Cindy and I was like, okay, hey, that was cool. That was good. And then later that afternoon, I was like, whoa, man, that was really cool. So we were kind of hooked on it, you know? And then we just started doing it as a small little instructor staff every day and sort of competing with each other. And it, and it was a nice addition to, which is, if you think about what CrossFit is and you go through everything, it's not supposed to be an addition to really anything. It's supposed to be the foundation, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and if you're doing it hard and well. But we weren't informed or educated or aware of the uh, methodology yet because we hadn't been to a seminar. And that's what it was. Meanwhile, you know, Marcus and, and Todd didn't tell us that they had been doing this workout of the day off of .com for like a month to get conditioned <laughs> first, you know, yeah. before telling us what it was. But, uh, yeah, and then, you know, who, who couldn't be in love with um, – uh, Annie Sakamoto and Nicole Carroll and even mm-hmm. T from their videos back in those days because that was the thing. We'd get to work at before four thirty in the morning. We'd crowd around a computer. We'd we'd all pretend that we didn't look at dot com before we came to work, you know. <laughs> and then we get to work and we all huddle around and what's the workout day going to be and pretend that we hadn't looked at the instructional <laughs> videos or the archives or anything like that yet. This is two thousand five, man. And uh, and it's like okay, hey, we're going to do this, and then. Um, about half a year later, a seminar came to uh, Instructor Battalion, and they, they asked me if I wanted to go, and I did. That's so cool. I've been in love with it ever since, man. Yeah, that's awesome. So how was that received by other people in the military, this whole CrossFit thing? Great. People loved it? Great. Oh, yeah. Across the board. Sorry, I'm chewing some ice. That's right. um, uh, by and far, across the board. In, in a lot of units – so, like, let's just strike out pride and ego for a mm-hmm. minute out of the conversation, right? Like, whether people want to agree or disagree or whatever, acknowledge or not, we've been doing CrossFit-style stuff for a long time. Um, the better units, more so than the other units, but never to, like, the degree of fidelity that, that Greg put it together as and defined it in, in terms of his methodology and his, his practicum and, and all of that. And... So we might have been doing a semblance and parts are here or there, but we were also doing a lot of the other stuff that we, sh- we didn't need to do or we could do, but we thought that was good and it was less effective and more of a waste of time. But um, by and far, people had been doing functional style workouts and movements when they could or when they had good leadership and not even know it. Uh, you know, a lot of units, though, you know, will say, hey, they just had fitness tests that was just straight up you know, pull-ups, sit-ups in a run, which isn't CrossFit. It's, but, um, you know, some of the other workouts and stuff that we did, you know, log PT, obstacle courses, boots and newts, runs, fart legs, all that stuff. It's very, very CrossFit-esque. But um, all, all credit to Greg Glassman for putting it together and defining it in very specific terms. And once CrossFit started to become a little more mainstream it wasn't cool to follow crossfit so it was cool to not 
think CrossFit was cool. Mm-hmm. It's the Dave Matthews effect. You know, everybody <laughs> loves Dave Matthews. They just don't want to admit it. Or everybody listens to Dave Matthews. They just don't want to admit it because Dave Matthews is so cool now. And all the not cool people think he's cool. So you can't think he's cool <laughs> because then it means you're not cool. It's stupid. You know? And, and then there's enter the pride and the ego in, in whatever. And, and then the thieves and the, the imposters and the people that want to emulate without giving credit and they call command and they repackage shit or then the know-it-alls who want to take the CrossFit, and make it, make it better, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, Hey, what's the best, what's the best drink in the world? It's called water H2O. And then enter, enter people with their big ideas and then they start adding shit to it and it's good <laughs> drinks uh-huh. and it's all fun, but they're specific for whatever they do. But like, you, you're not going to beat water. And that's kind of how I feel. Uh, today with everybody that's out there, man. Uh, people ask me, what do you do? I'm like, hey, I go back to 2006 in the archives, maybe 2007, and I pull up .com, and I do a workout. And I just go there because it's raw. It's, and, and I'm sure CrossFit itself has evolved and grown to meet needs and development, and CrossFit's blowing away its own expectations of what they have ever thought the fittest would ever look like or be, you know? So... Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, that's a blah, but people, you know, hey, hey, Marine Corps, like, I'm disappointed in you. Like, I'll, I'll say it. I can say it. What are you going to do? You know, <laughs> take away my rank, you know, take away my liberty. You put me in the brig. Like, I'm disappointed in you because you took CrossFit.com and you repackaged it and you started to call it high-intensity interval training in my integrity, my sense of integrity, which the Marine Corps has taught me throughout my entire career as the number one leadership trait is, um, is affronted, you know, and because of, my, my, uh, you know, machismo or ego or whatever, whatever, when you should just, just call it, give credit where credit's due, you know? So, yeah. so how did you get into ultra marathon running? I have no idea. <laughs> you just started running. <laughs> oh man. I did uh, a primal quest, which is, was the mother of all expedition, adventure races in the U.S., if not the world at the time. And I was guest speaking at the University of Rochester because um, Kevin Saunders asked me to come and speak to the, the graduating class, and I did. And he said, hey, man, like, let's go PT, let's go work out. One thing led to another, hey, we need a teammate for this race. You want to do it? And I'm like, all right, whatever. And, man, I was thrown into the fire in this ultra-endurance <laughs> community, and I loved it. It was something I hadn't experienced before. It was something, the camaraderie, the teamwork, the challenge in a civilian aspect that I, I would never experience that was similar to what I do and did in, in the military. And so I found that it just pushed me to my limits. And so I constantly just kept seeking more and more. And the more I do these events and the harder they are, the more I learn about myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm fascinated with uh, trying to figure out who I am and you know, where my weaknesses are and how I can grow. And, and I'm, I'm fascinated with identifying my own ignorance instead of having it identified for me. And um, I feel like just these, these events, uh, whether it's ultra running or, you know, adventure races or just getting in the back country and hunting or whatever it is, like just it does that. It introduces me to myself in a, in a very genuine way that you can't, you can't bullshit yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, it's in your face. And then, <laughs> and then if you come out of the event and you think you're going to bullshit yourself, well, you are, but you're very intimately aware that you're mm-hmm. bullshitting yourself. So if you can sleep at night after that, 
you know, hey, good on you, man, but I can't. So I've heard you say that uh, specifically the Arrowhead 135 was the worst race you've ever ran. Why was that? Uh, the best race I've ever ran. The uh, best. But the most, the hardest. The hard, okay, so the best, oh, but the absolutely hardest. absolutely the hardest. But, man, I've learned so much more. It put me through a lot of – so I failed it twice. And then I went and I, re, I re, recessed into this terrible place. You know, you could say it was probably de- clinical, some type of depression. You know, Nicole will tell you. And, um, and then we failed at Primal Quest in um, the – Tahoe when that was there when I did that and Chris and I Chris Smith and I said hey man like I'm super disappointed I'm so upset and embarrassed about what we did at Primal Quest and didn't do we need to do something I'm like hey I've got a ghost in the closet and let's go to Arrowhead and then I went back and did it and then I went back again the next year and did it again and and so that was like a, a phenomenal growth process for me and I'm not talking in the in a short term of one month or year i'm talking like it was six years because i had failed it twice took a two-year hiatus and then went back for two more years and even during a hiatus it was in my mind and the things that i learned about myself uh, all four times and the things that i was presented with challenges to overcome just incredible that race right there is an equalizer it absolutely is, man. Harder than the Moab 240, harder than, you know, Tahoe 200, harder than God's own, harder than all the, harder than the 24 hour container race. Um, for a lot of different reasons though, you know, um, just, but that would be the one for me. Where is that race? Internet, it starts in the international falls. So it's the border of Canada and Minnesota on a historical coldest day of the year. So it's Perfect. usually middle end of February. Starting line temperatures are typically negative 10 degrees or so. You'll see negative 20, 25 at night, not counting wind chill. In the daytime, depending on what's happening with sun exposure, you might see some teens. You might see 30s. It's worse if it gets into the 30s. It gets too hot. It's too bad. So it's a it's an incredible 100, 135-mile race hauling all your gear on a sled behind you in the snow. Wow. Awesome. And you have, you only have 60 hours to complete it. You don't, you don't really get to dilly dally. That's crazy. Yeah, it was awesome. That's intense. So how did you get the nickname crooked butterfly? I'm curious. You want the real one or you want just like some kind of cool version? Cause the real one's kind of sappy and sensitive, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. The real one, right? So uh, when I met Nicole, we were dating. You know, you go through the awkward little love date, something, something. If you could be a spirit animal, what would it be? Or you could be a this or that. And, you know, you're trying to figure each other out in those weird ways. Like, what's your superpower stuff? And, and I was like, yeah, I'd like, I'm a caterpillar, man. And she's just like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a, a caterpillar resonates with me. And she thought I was bullshit, but I wasn't. I was just like, yeah, you know, caterpillars are, aren't respected or appreciated or loved they're not beautiful this or that they got a lot of shit going on and they go through a change or whatever when they emerge outside the other change they're a gorgeous butterfly you know and um and then all of a sudden they get all the but nobody nobody goes back and gives that acknowledgement to the caterpillar and and uh she just looked at me like yeah okay hey you're just making that shit up whatever <laughs> you know 
you're trying to get my pants or something, right? Like, <laughs> no, it was just honest. And uh, then shortly after we started our relationship getting serious, there was a song that came out, and one of the lyrics was um, about a butterfly took me in, dusted me off, and something, something. And it just started to make sense. And so, well, it's not necessarily my nickname. It's just my business my business name, you know, Crooked Butterfly Ranch. And uh, I think when you when our lives are imperfect, it doesn't follow a straight ordained path or trajectory. It's it's subject to a lot of things, environmentals and influences, and, and we drift and we bounce around and we float. And w- the more we try to fly in a straight line, the less we can. Mm-hmm. And if we embrace our journey that's imperfect – um, we will be beautiful the way we're supposed to be. And that's the path of a butterfly. There's butterflies cannot fly in a straight line, you know? So it just all kind of made sense in touchy feely kind of way, hmm. you know? Yeah, that's cool. So you mentioned the business. What does the crooked butterfly business, what do you do? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. That's a great elevator pitch, right? Oh, so what do you do? I don't know. Oh, don't you're know. hired, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like, um, I like to present experiential um, learning opportunities in the, in the leadership sphere to either learn leadership principles, learn more about yourself, um, or, or to develop certain um, avenues of your character uh, and, and interests. And so I work a lot with uh, adolescent kids, uh, underserved audiences, military, and I have a couple corporate clients and a couple individuals as well. And, um, the veteran community as well, uh, that going through transition, maybe they're paused on thriving. Maybe they're just trying to figure out who they are, what they're supposed to be. And, or maybe they're struggling with their, their past and their experiences. And, and, uh, I feel like I have a, a lot of credibility on those levels, having gone through a lot of the stuff myself and experienced things and done it poorly and now maybe doing it well and can offer some insight. So it's basically what I do, uh, experiential learning, in the leadership sphere. And one of the things I love that you started was the podcast. Oh, I thank you very much, man. When and why did you decide to start that? Mo, Mo Nakfi and John Kinnick, man, right there. Straight shout out to those guys. Cross it beyond the whiteboard. Um, I've been saying um a lot since then. I need to stop saying that. A lot of people so, do. <laughs> it annoys me. It's got to be annoying everybody else. <laughs> they, um, they just been big fans and supporters of mine, along with a handful of other individuals, and they just really been pushing me to get my voice out. They wanted to amplify my my voice and get it out on different channels to try to break through to some people uh, that are otherwise getting oversaturated with nonsense and some of the loudest voices that probably have the least substance, but they get the most notoriety or credit. And so they created a pat, a platform for me to get on a different channel, uh, energize me, get some thoughts into recordings, uh, potentially to move forward with a book or, or something. And uh, cross to be on the whiteboard, man. They're amazing people doing amazing things. They just care about value for others. And I believe it's genuine. And so, um, you know, those guys, Bill and Katie Henniger, been huge huge supporters of mine you know chris smith i'm gonna name a whole bunch of names and omit some people but you know i've I've got a lot of people in the corner of nicole pushing for me to do things and hey you got something to say just say it and so i did i just went i just went for it 
not knowing what it was going to be. And it's evolved, and I'm really excited. Funny thing is, I just had a call with John today talking about moving into 2020 because we have uh, four more episodes left of this year, and I've reached my commitment of one a week. And the conversation in my head, the internal dialogue is, well, keep going or not? Is it valuable? Is it not? And then the conversation I have with myself out loud is, yeah, just keep doing it because it's good for you. And if others whether it's one or five or 20 or 20 million, if they're benefiting, then just keep doing it, man. Cause that's, that's what you said you wanted to do. So I'm excited, but cross it be on a whiteboard They're They were, they've been amazing to me. Yeah. I love that first episode when you just said, I'm just going to do it. That cause it reminded me a lot of myself when I started, like, I'm just going to do it. Like, I don't care who listens. I don't care if no one, one person listens a hundred people, whatever. So yeah. I, I really like that. It's powerful, man. You got to listen. If you can't listen to yourself, who should you listen to? It's true. And if other people aren't listening to and you're getting frustrated, then at least you got to listen to yourself or you're full of shit. You just need to listen to other people. Mm-hmm. And they, they just push you forward to do it. And even if it makes you feel good, man, just do it for you. Yeah. And I really liked your episode on suffering. I thought that was very, very true. Yeah, I get triggered. I get triggered when people use that word so freely. And it bothers me mm-hmm. because they don't, oh, you know, I like to, I like to do this workout cause I like to suffer, but you don't have no idea what suffer is. You may like to do it cause you like to be challenged or you like hardship or you like feeling a little bit of physical pain or discomfort. You do not like anybody that suffered unless they have a, a, a psychological dysfunction, you know, um, I said it, um, they, they do not ever want to suffer again. And when we put clear definitions on specific words and terms to use them outside of that definition is to diminish their value. And, you know, certain words, I just love to reserve, you know, love, like you married. No, no. Got a girlfriend. No. Got a dog. <laughs> I got a dog. Yeah. All right. Well, you love your dog, right? Yeah. And, but if, if you walk around and you, you say, Oh, well, I love to ski and I love apples and, you know, oh, I love the weather, and oh, the, I love that song. How does your dog start to feel? How does your wife start to feel if, oh, you love all this stuff, but then you say, hey, well, I love you. Oh, well, cool. Like, I'm just I'm just part of the group. Mm-hmm. But when you start to use words with reservation, they have greater value and meaning in love and hate, suffer, and hero. And I, I, I got a list of buzzwords, you know. It's like, yeah, hey, don't use those indiscriminately. Mm-hmm. It's just not, it's not right. Now you love to daily push yourself to your limits and do things. No, I enjoy, that... I enjoy pushing myself to daily limits. And I don't do... love it. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> and doing things that push yourself kind of like what gives you fulfillment? What makes you feel good about yourself or accomplished? Oh man. Like how, I guess to start, how do you go to bed at night feeling good about the day? I'm working on that. You know, I'm working yeah. on strategies because you, do you ever feel good? I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm not a fan of good enough. I don't like that word. I don't like that phrase that's saying, uh, and I'm working on, I'm working on trying to figure out where, where that is or where that pulls and drives. And, and maybe it's never, it's supposed to be the itch. It's never scratched, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and that keeps pulling you forward. Maybe, maybe it's the day that I feel satisfied is the day that you just sit down on your laurels and you start to succumb to complacency and indifference. 
And so I don't know if I even want to feel satisfied, but I know I'm taking the conversation different than you posed the question. Accomplishment, accomplishment of set goals and tasks are, are big for me to continue to feed the well of momentum moving forward. Mm -hmm. And that would be just get up in the morning. I'm going to do this today and then do that no matter what, just do that. And it can be super simple, trite, you know, mundane, doesn't matter. Just pick one thing and do it. And this is in addition to your, we call them in the military, continuing actions, you know, cover and concealment, camouflage are continuing actions. You just, you're expected to do those. They're not necessarily tasks. They're, they're operational things that you do consistently, routinely as they need, like doing the dishes. Mm -hmm. You can't say, Hey, I'm going to do the dishes today as your task and feel a sense of accomplishment because that's a task that is supposed to get done. It's a continuing action. The dishes are supposed to be clean. Otherwise you run out of them and your laundry is supposed to be done. But, you know, picking a task and, and getting that done and, and being creative with the tasks, you know, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give 15 people a hug today and, and say one good thing that's relevant specific to them to let them know that I care about them and that they're valued. You know, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a phenomenal task, you know, mm -hmm. things, things like that, of that nature, uh, that span a, a, a physical sense of accomplishment, but then also maybe a spiritual or an emotional or a psychological senses as well. You don't feel like you have to, Hey man, this life is long. You don't have to do everything all at once, you know, contrary to what all these leadership gurus are saying, you know, like, Hey man, I'm gonna live a long life and I'm just going to keep chipping away. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not burn burn it all out in four days and get all this shit done. You know, <laughs> I'm not saving anything, but I'm just being a little bit more patient about keep the momentum moving. And the slower I go, maybe the greater impact. You know, if you know anything about physics or conservation of mass and energy or whatever, it's like, oh, hey, maybe the faster you go, the less impact you have. Maybe the slower I go, the greater impact I have. I don't know that the, whatever the equation is, Einstein it out yourself, but. I'm I'm a little bit more slow and deliberate these days in in trying to go for maximum uh, contribution and value for others. Now you've said that you constantly wrestle with the question of who am I. Do you think that that's kind of something that as humans we kind of wrestle with for our whole lives? Do you think we ever really figure that out? I want to think that there's an answer. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the Venn diagram in my head, and I know where the answer lies, and um, but I, I think if you're not having that conversation with yourself on a daily basis or with people that you love and respect and value, then you're failing at life. Hmm. And, you know, to have this conversation, who am I? Am I living up to who I want to be, need to be, supposed to be, whatever it is? And, and I'm not looking for people to split atoms off of, a, of, a, of an impromptu response here, but it's like, yeah, you should be constantly checking yourself so that you can say, hey, so that you can stiff arm and avoid disaster or, or going down the wrong path. You know, you you want to say, I like I like to phrase it, am I what I believe or do I just believe what I am? And I and I put the I put the intonation in on purpose to know, like, because when you just say it bluntly. It's like, yeah, they're the same thing, but they're not. I want to develop a set of belief, beliefs, a belief system 
and I want to internalize it into my character so much because I believe in those things that that becomes who I am and I express myself to the outside world instead of just being haphazard about who I am and just going and being subject to the whims and the wills and the desires and the moods and emotions and then constructing a belief set that's convenient for who I'm being. And so I would much rather keep having this conversation of who I am in the, in the subsets of that so that I can constantly strive to be a person consistent with my belief set structure, my values. Gotcha. Does that make any sense? Or was that, that just like, sense. whoa, shit, man, I need to smoke a joint and figure that out. You know, there was a lot in there, but we'll sort through it. We'll figure <laughs> just, it out. Yeah. Play that back slow motion, baby. <laughs> now, Brian, what does the future hold for you? I have no idea, man. I have no idea. I'm working hard. Just working hard. I'm putting together the plan. I just started a nonprofit. I haven't announced it yet. So you're the first person oh. that I've announced it to publicly. Cool. There might be five or six. Ah, there's probably like 20 people that know because I had to create a board of directors. But um, there's that um again. i starting a nonprofit. It's called the Big Fish Foundation. And it is going to strive to serve a veteran community that is generally underserved and it's like, Oh, how can the veteran community be underserved? Well, because I don't think they're being served in the right way or a way that's valuable. And, um, I want to bring them and do things that are healthy and healing and can rejuvenate them so that they can continue to pay forward their veteran values to, to America's fabric. Uh, ultimately, you know, the world, if, if that may be, but we got to start a little closer at home. And I want to support uh, veteran endeavors and small business because I feel like it has a sense of purpose. So I'm excited. It'll go it'll go online the first of the year because I didn't want to have to deal with weird taxes for 2019 mm-hmm. and whatever, whatever. And I need a little bit more time to get, get things organized. But January 1st, 2020, the Big Fish Foundation is going to do a lot of veteran retreats and support other veterans that are doing things for veterans to help with – transition, education, mm-hmm. things like that. Awesome. Now, looking back, do you think – I mean, where do you think you would be if the judge wouldn't have ordered you to go to the military? I'd be in jail or in the grave. There's no doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind because if my patterns of behavior went unchecked – and Judge Steinwalks, I'll remember his name, Army graduate, West Point, retired – Still lives at home. I think he's 70-ish, 73, 74 now, lives in Churchill, New York. And I owe my – I owe a good portion. I don't owe my entire life. I owe my a good portion of, of who I am today and the opportunities that I have to him who just said, hey, look, man, you're going to industry. You're going to jail. You're going to go in the military, but we need to sort some stuff out, son. And I'm like, oh, uh-oh. And he had the uh, – he had the patience, the tolerance. Maybe he saw something in me that he saw in one of his sons or his brothers or himself. And he, he allowed me to have the choice and I chose the right one. I'll go ahead and say it the right one, because I don't think I would be, I would be in jail or, or dead. There's no doubt in my mind. So obviously somewhere in there, you had a big mindset change. Do you know when that, like where, or when that occurred? You ever um you ever go to Paris Island boot camp? No. It happened right exactly there as soon as you stepped off the bus. <laughs> <laughs> right? And those guys, man, they tore shit up. And that's where it changed. And I had moments of regression. 
throughout uh, my career. And they always got put back in check by salty senior Marine Corps, you know, staff NCO or uh, Sergeant Moser would be one of them. I don't think he's a Tosh fan. I was, I was, I just enamored with Sergeant Moser, but I was, I was not an ideal Marine for him. Disappointed him a couple times. And he was a big, he was a big influencer for Sergeant Tusa Posse Suanoa back in the day, Major Chase, uh, my first unit as an 18 to 20 year old lost enlisted guy. And uh, moving through my, my career, became an officer, got a commission, and just, again, lottery ticket uh, career with mm-hmm. the Marine Corps. A lot of Marines don't have the lottery mm-hmm. ticket that I have. And I just was blessed with some phenomenal supporting cast and leadership crew. Mm-hmm. Now, where can people find you and where can people learn more about you and your business and all that good stuff? Yeah, uh, Instagram is probably my largest thing that I or the, the biggest thing that I follow uh, influence through Tosh dot crooked butterfly. Uh, I, I got obviously it's associated with Facebook, so you can get on there. I just do a little less of Facebook. Uh, I have a website, crookedbutterfly.com. That's out, and it has a lot more some videos and stuff, and it explains a little bit more what I do. Uh, we just launched that new website, revised website, a couple months ago, so that's kind of cool. Uh, you can always email me, you know, Tosh at Crooked Butterfly. You can email me at Tosh at CrossFit. You see me out in the seminar staff. You see me on the streets in Boulder, Colorado. But I rarely go down there. Uh, I like to stay in my little refuge up here at home in the woods. Um, I'll be launching a website, bigfishfoundation.org, and you can find me on there. Very cool. I like the, uh, I really like that video on your website, the Rogue video. That was cool. I was man, Bill and <laughs> Bill and Katie just—they're amazing, amazing, amazing human beings. What they what they've started and created from the ground, directions that they've taken it, their their plans for the future, and it's not about themselves as much as it's about creating an ecosystem and a set of values for both their employees, their part-time employees, the the. the the other parts of the, the attachments to the ecosystem that, that come on that are supported by the rogue family. And I don't know why or how or what I did to achieve their, um, you know, uh, interest and support, but something happened and they've just been huge advocates. And I think the world of them, and when I think of people that I don't ever want to let down or embarrass it, that are going to guide my actions, you know, myself is number one mm-hmm. and, you know, there's probably a host of 10 or 15 others. Bill and Katie, the rogue family is, is another one. So that video was kind of cool, you know, a little short. I, I wish I had a, a baller ass one like Josh Bridges did, you uh-huh. know, or Rich Froning, yeah. you know, good old seven minute job, but <laughs> I just, I just don't have that much going on for me that they do. I'm not raising, I'm not raising like Buffalo in my backyard. Shit, yeah. you know <laughs> well, Brian, thanks a lot for joining me and making time. This is awesome. Yeah, bro. Thank you very much, man. Uh, You did a lot for me just by being able to talk. And guys, before you go, I just wanted to say I set a goal back in January. On January 1st, I was at 28 episodes. From there, I decided that I was going to pursue 100 episodes by the end of 2019. A lofty goal for sure. Not many people thought it could be done. A lot of people at the time actually thought that I was running out of people to talk to as it was. But here we are, November 28th, and we are releasing episode number 100. However, this wouldn't be possible without you, the fans. I am incredibly grateful for you all. You are what make all the time and energy spent on this show all worth it. I've always said, 
If even one person gets something out of this, I'll keep going. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. I love you all. And I hope you enjoyed episode 100 of this show. We'll see you next time on the Up Before You podcast. Have a great day.